Here we are in week three of our series with The Last Poets. The Last Poets are considered to be the godfathers of hip-hop, bringing poetry onto the turbulent scene in the 1960s. For over 50 years, they have persevered, keeping their intent and mission alive as they seek to enlighten all people about racism, social justice, and personal growth through poetry and music. Early this year, Umar bin Hassan, Abiyadun Oyewole, and Babadan Babatunde gathered at the Ropadope Room at the invitation of renowned bassist and producer Jamaluddin Takuma. It was there that they listened for the first time to the full album that they had worked on for years. It was an emotional and historic moment, all recorded on camera as part of the 21 Soul video series. Shortly afterward, I was able to reach out to each of the last poets and record a podcast as I wanted to learn more about these unique and powerful men. It was very difficult to focus as I was simply in awe of their power. And so here we are in week three. We come to the percussion with Babadan Babatunde. All right, it's my great honor to welcome Babadan Babatunde to the station tapes. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for taking the time. Uh, it was really a pleasure to meet you here at the Ropadope Room uh, last weekend or so. Uh, mm-hmm. That was a that was an amazing day, huh? Quite, yeah. We haven't heard those tracks in such a while, so it's been like you know, kind of uplifting and uh, inspiring to hear that. Yeah, that was to hear, you know to hear the the tracks again. Quite something. So I want to. Uh, First, let me ask, how long have you been performing with The Last Poets? Over 30 years. 30 years. My goodness. 30 years, can you imagine? <laughs> I'm still, I, I, I'm, I'm old enough to, to have done some things for 30 years, so I get it, yeah. Um, so I, I wanted to ask first, um, your interaction with Umar and Javier Dun. Um, are are you creating poetry, or are you simply uh, percussion? Um, well, it's primarily I've started on some projects now where I've created some poetry, and and uh, but it's very difficult to do the poetry and do the drums at the same time. I can in fact, it's almost impossible to do that in a recording. So, in fact, we did a recording uh, not too long ago where I had to have Omar recite my poem so I could do the drums to it and then go back. Actually, I was going to let Omar just go ahead and do it. He said, no, 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 Baba, you got to do your own poem. So I did it. And, um, but I had to have, I had to get a sense of the, lock, the locking in. So it's the same process I do with them where they're recording, uh, if they're doing poetry, I can I start to come up with rhythms and ideas for their pieces. When- so we've been doing that. We've been doing that for like, by some time, you know. And so when we perform primarily, there's some background vocals that I do with them, um, and and vocal vocalizations, but primarily uh, it's primarily holding the beat for them as they do the recitations. If you're if you're writing a poem and and you intend for uh, Umar to recite it, is does that influencing your? No, process? it wasn't really. There wasn't an attempt for him to recite it so much. It's that when we were recording it, oh, gotcha. I needed him. To, I needed him to recite it so I can come up with the beat. 
and then have the beat laid down so that I could recite it over top of the over top of what I just played. Got it. Got it. So I couldn't do both at the same time. In other words, so who's yep. going to do the poem? Now, did you did you study poetry? How 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 does it? Yeah, I studied the last poets. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good. There you go. <laughs> there you go. I, I think a lot of people today, um, you know, there's a disconnect in poetry. I mean, while there's a great scene happening, uh, you, know, and, you know, poetry slams and, and what have you, um, a lot of people today are 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 completely unfamiliar with the process. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, it's funny because when I was listening to the last poets mm-hmm. as a kid, that's where my, then um, the, you know, the hearing the, the poetry, the words, the meaning, all that took effect in my consciousness. So, but I primarily at that time wasn't focusing so much on just the words, but it was also on the rhythms. And being that I didn't have, uh, well, I didn't come up in a culture or a family where drumming was already there. Uh-huh. I had to seek it out. So to seek it out and then to, at that time, it wasn't even seeking it out. It was just listening and trying to imagine how those, how, those, how you create those sounds. Mm-hmm. I'm only 12, about 12 years old. So I think there, there was, that wasn't happening in my school. And the only school I had was the, was the album. So that's where it started. And then I think because of the time that we grew up, I grew up in, and my brother, we all came up during the time of black arts movement. So a lot of, um, you know, the, the riots and all of those things became part of our existence. So from that perspective, you know, it was about finding re- reuniting with, with African culture in the diaspora as yeah. well as in West Africa. So. I was fortunate enough to meet up in time with a, te- a teacher who, who also in- introduced me to that world of, and in fact, before then it was, I was very young when I heard Olatunji and his, and his drummers play. Mm-hmm. I guess I was inspired by that too. I don't remember too much of that because I was doing the World's Fair and nobody knows what that is right now. So. <laughs> 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 they will look it up. I urge people. Yeah. You know, the World's Fair. Remember those days, you know? Yeah. And they used to have them all over the world. So the African Pavilion was where we went and, you know, was inspired. My mother was a dancer for African dance. But she never took me to a class where I would see drumming and all that. I mean, she just went to a class and I stayed with my grandma. You know, that kind of thing. Gotcha. So I didn't, I didn't get the experience uh, directly. I had to seek it out. And that's how I, my introduction to the black arts was really my own introduction, my own way of getting in. Because even though I was connected, uh, we had my mom, she was pretty much an activist in that. She didn't think of exposing me or they wouldn't even have thought of it. It just didn't happen. I kind of exposed myself to that consciously. Maybe subconsciously it was a different story. But um, I got to meet most of the most of the gentlemen that was on the album of drums of drums of passion, I got to study with most of them. Wow. I got to uh, interplay with them. I got you know I, I became just in the culture of of the um, West African and mostly uh, Afro-Cuban culture of drumming. Can Can you describe for somebody who who doesn't understand what uh, you know what are the what are the fundamental differences between Afro-Cuban and 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 African drumming. 
Well, it's all African, if you want to look the continent. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's Af- you know, they're all inspired by African rhythms, African um, beats. Uh, most of the rhythms out of the, out of the uh, diaspora comes from Dahomey or from the Congo. Some of the stuff is from West Africa, like uh, Nigeria. But you find, like, um, a lot of the Congolese elements within um, uh, Cuban music, also within uh, Haitian music. For me, I had I met a teacher by the name of Pablo Landrum, Richard Landrum, mm-hmm. who, you know, he had his own personality and, and, and what have you. You know, he was a very interesting personality, but he's the one that introduced me to that world. And using dropping his name, I was able to meet other people, his cousins and things like that, you know, actual players who we would sit in the park or we would go somewhere and play, but we weren't just banging. We were playing parts. We were playing the actual um, the rhythms that were that were being passed on. Mm-hmm. So, like, um, there are you know there are people who play. You know, you have drum circles where people just beat the drums, and that's fine. Uh, but then there are other uh, levels of playing where you don't. If you don't have that understanding, then there's no real communication. You just be in the way. So in other words, if you just sit down at a, room, a Roomba and you don't know what you're doing, mm-hmm. you will be politely asked to get up mm-hmm. because you're not in the language. You're not listening to the culture. You're not listening to the music or you're not familiar with it. So it's okay. Uh, drum circles, I do drum circles with people. I don't have to put a demand on what they know. That's a different, that's just, just keep a, a, a beat together and just have some fun together and express yourself. I'm with that. Because now it's a matter of learning, you know, of playing with players who know. Like, for example, if you're playing by time rhythms, for example, there are certain parts you, you can't just improvise. You have to know the certain inter, interlocking, connecting parts. So there's a, there's, that's where the rumba or where the, the, the type of drum style becomes very uh, important. Otherwise, you, you're just, you, it's not going to work. It's not going to work out. It's not going to lock. So there's no growth there. It's just, you know, if you're a beginner, you're not going to know, you're not going to really hear it. So this takes, so the levels of playing becomes much more intricate, much more um, advanced. Yeah. And the hearing of it, and, you know, there's like, there's a, there's a, there's a conversation going on. And your part is as important as all the other parts. And you, so you have to have, you have to have that sense and knowledge of history. Uh, and, right. And all, and all of the foundation that came before in order to be able to, interact in that you know one of the things that we try to get to on on this podcast is for people to 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 go back and to learn history um and i want to pivot the conversation a little bit to you know here we are with the last poets uh 50 years of here um and now we have an entire generation and it's very it's very exciting that uh, finally, uh, these issues that have been persistent in American culture uh, that have never really been resolved uh, are, are back in people's in, on people's minds. You know, we passed uh, we're the day after Super Bowl Sunday, uh, and the conversation is very much alive. I think in the minds of uh, younger people, especially with Black Lives Matter movement, uh, etc. And so um, it's very exciting for us to be able to try to, you know, present some history uh, mm-hmm. 
you know, so that people can understand. Well, you know, it's funny how things have just come back around. I mean, they never really went away, but it's becoming more uh, ex- accentuated, you know. I don't know. I think it gets to a point where there was a law of apathy, and now and you have a generation of folks, maybe just a little bit about in their 30s or so, 20s, 40s, 30s or 40s, um, probably during the time of the, of the birth of hip hop that, you know, they, they went to a different, a different direction on, on political, you know, it, it became less political. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So towards, towards the, where we are now, and because of the apathy that people have and, and, and what have you on, on both sides and all sides of the fence and people who are becoming, um, before the, even before gangster rap, I think gangster rap was just another way of, just another way of uh, programming incarceration, incarcerational um, uh, ideas in the, in the minds of certain folks. And that's a whole nother story, but, um, Prior to, before that, I think it was, you know, it was kind of like, you know, everything was all groovy, everything was cool, you know, everybody's hipping and hopping and, you know, it, was, it wasn't so political. Mm-hmm. When gangster rap became, started to take over, it was like the dark side taking over to a sense. I mean, you know, there was, there was anger, but the anger was misdirected towards just to the, the community, you know, it wasn't directed towards uh, any oppressive situation that was happening and thereby the oppressive situation that did take place within the time that we're talking about now is all the effect it's all you know part of that roundup you know we got the people angry we got the people hating themselves let's round them up and let's put them away so that's what we're looking at now and now you know and there's a point where people uh, who have been privileged are not you know, they feel like there's no there's no responsibility behind their 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 uh, privilegedness, and uh, or that you know they have you know it's like one person like everybody should be pulled by their own bootstraps. When you talk about black conservatives, etc., etc., et mm-hmm. but um, when you don't have boots, how can you pull your straps up? How, if you don't have a shoestrings or boots, period, and you're not allowed to have boots, how is that possible? So those are the things. Now people say, "Well, today we can we got boots now." I said, "Yeah, you have boots now, but now the boots are very expensive." Now you know they help you, and then there's the educational component to all of those things. Uh, I don't, I don't see the, I don't, I think that you know there's a mechanism that of self destruction that needs to be addressed. And uh, I know I'm talking around about a whole bunch of stuff, but no, you know I was looking at. I was looking at a uh, podcast of black conservatives and they're, you know, not, you know, not, not against anybody's uh, political opinion. I think everybody, that's what makes America great. But when you talk about make America great again, when was it great before? Right. You know, again, it applies that it had, it had reached a certain greatness. What greatness was that? And who, who, were, who were the partakers of that greatness? Who was, who was the beneficiaries of that greatness? And that greatness is, you know, is what, I don't understand how black conservatives can can come up with being part of that. But they were included. What's interesting about that and 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 I spend a lot of time thinking about this because, you know, I'm I've 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 lived through all this and the power of words 
um, is actually, uh, you know, has become a tool of the system. Um, people say some things that make no sense at all, but because, exactly. because they've been repeated enough. When I was young, right. liberal meant that you considered both sides and you were progressive and you were open, you know? Exactly, yeah. Now, progressive. Now it something different <laughs> because they marketed against it and they used other words, you know? Um, and, and all of these, uh, what's the term they use now? Uh, dog whistle kind of things, mm -hmm. you know? And so I, I, I think a lot of people aren't realizing how many of these opinions uh, and, and simple statements that they make, uh, especially, you know, on, on talk shows and what have you, uh, are actually not thought through. They're, they've just been right. particular words. Um, it's sort of mm -hmm. like poetry in a way. <laughs> it's, it's using words. Well, no, not really. It's all like brainwashing, more brainwashing. Yeah. At least poetry allows you to think. Yes. You know, or rap, which doesn't allow you to think. It's almost like just brainwashing. So, I mean, certain types of rap. It's repeated and repeated. And, you know, the attitude goes with it. Uh, you can create a culture behind it, and everybody is, is like, in agreement with it, and uh, it's self-destructive, you know. It fits a very convenient profile uh, of the individual and the and a lifestyle that's, that's still, that still fuels the, the, the system that we live in that separates right. people and that puts uh, certain people with boots and certain people without. Um, very, very interesting. Um, I, I want to hear from you, you know, about what your thoughts are on the legacy of the last poets at, at this moment in time, considering all this, how would you? Well, you know, like, 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 like the album says, transcending toxic time. There's a lot of a lot of changes that's going on with with Joan and Omar and and some of the other poets uh, in terms of, of maturing and, and you know and opinions you know looking at a more global opinion of what we're supposed to be at and where we are. Mm -hmm. so something about that first album that um, that gets people you know it's like a rally cry a rally yeah rally cry mm -hmm. to. Um, and it talks about, you know, like, you know, it's a scared revolution, talks about, you know, this talks about the things that we used to be laugh at each other about, and we notice about these ourselves, and it, it's all relative to where we are today. It's, it's, it's colloquial language that we use that, you know, that, um, that we still hold on to, and we try to justify it, but, you know, whatever, use it or not, it's, it's, it's the colloquialism of of you know of the street, mm -hmm. so you know I think for forever this, that there will be that that um, that response. You know the fact that we are still doing it and and it's cross generations mm -hmm. and it speaks the same. You know it's, it's it spoke to a generation of people and and their late teens and twenties and even earlier. Who became very aware of, of became aware and you know uh, of, of empowerment, and it still speaks the same way because at this point there's no one talking that way now. I mean, you know, there's some people Drake and then you know, and they they're trying. I mean, they just don't. I maybe they maybe they don't have the um, uh, enough fire or pain 
to get mm-hmm. the point across enough. You know, what I mean, you have to have some personal pain to to, to be able to to be able to let the, the message go. Otherwise, you know, it's not relative. You know, you living by a swimming pool all your life, and you know, and you always and your mom would take care of you. Now you're a rapper, and now you got your own house too. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You don't get to you don't get to experience. You know, you know, and there's nothing wrong with none of that. I mean, this I'm not. You know, I hope everybody can have a pool and, and generations of wealth can, can, can continue on for all of us. But, you know, unfortunately, there are people living in some pain. Yeah. And some of it has to do with injustices. And uh, even the people who live in by the swimming pools have, have to worry about their kids, you know, going to, the, going to a, a, a prom or to a party. Yep. And all of a sudden, their kids, yeah. their kids are shot in the head because of somebody just walked, you know, either from a racist person who thinks they're who thinks they're a thug, or from a racist person who just don't like them. Period. It could, yeah. it could be the nicest, but it could be a kid, you know, or yeah. from a crazy. Yeah. So you still have, you know, I mean, you know, you live in a society where anything, anything can happen, but you know, just we, you know, you don't. Uh, you, well, you, every every society has their little quirks and, and issues. So, I, I, you know, I can't say there's a utopian place where nothing will happen to no one. But, right, but you know, status, I mean, what I'm trying to say is status doesn't necessarily, uh, economic status doesn't necessarily protect you from injustices if you're of color. Because you have, well, if, otherwise, other people have walked out of jail, like, you know, Mm-hmm. You know, got a happy meal because they were hungry after they killed a whole bunch of black people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you know, we we got we got some stuff to do. That's why the glass poles are still a vital uh, entity in America, and in, and in fact, a vital entity globally because then you take those same circumstances, uh, maybe not in terms of, I mean, it's mostly I think in terms of um, class more so than race, but it's becoming an issue uh, all over the planet. Agreed. Agreed. Well, I want to thank you for your time. I want to say uh, as we close that The Last Poets Transcending Toxic Times is uh, out this spring. Uh, it's a beautiful album. It speaks truth. Uh, and uh, But it also has some very, very positive moments uh, that I think just about anyone can relate to, and I hope people will learn and uh, and and dance to this record. I'm pretty sure they're going to dance to it. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, that's we're transcending, transcending, toxic exactly. times. I continue to be amazed at the full breadth of the last poets and their compassion for all as they address the injustices of the world and enlighten us with their message. Next week, we'll visit with the man who brought the last poets together and recorded and produced Transcending Toxic Times, Mr. Jamaluddin Takuma. Thank you all for tuning in to the station tapes. If you like what we do, please subscribe on Mixcloud at 21Soul. You can also find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Google, and wherever else pods are cast. Our video interview series is available on YouTube at Ropadope99, and you can find out more about the artists we speak with at ropadope.com. Thanks to the 21 Soul team, Nick Perry and Steven Yashevsky on production, Larry Yetman on video, and the great Fabian Brown on the creativity and positive energy tip. Our theme song is from Red Hook Soul by saxophonist Michael Blake. 
can find out more about Michael Blake at michaelblake.bandcamp.com or on your favorite streaming service. Finally, thanks to all of you who keep the flame burning for independent quality music. To the musicians who pour their creativity into the world, and to those of you who are taking the time to listen, we hope you enjoy the show.